if you want great rock, we've got great rock because it's Van Halen and we're playing their biggest rock song from the 1984 album. It's called Panama and this is the Super Hits Podcast. Here we go. Hello, friends. It's uh, Jamie Van Super Hits, <laughs> a.k.a. Megavix.com. I'm here with my brother, drummer, and co-host, Slip Van Superhits. Yes. What's up, Skin Slapper? <laughs> wow, good one. <laughs> Jesus. I, I don't even know what to say. Um, hi, I'm Alan. <laughs> Apparently, 64. I'm Alan Van Superhits. Yo. Yes, well, you know, what a, what a great name. Uh, it's episode 64 of the Superhits podcast on this uh, chilly October Friday, I assume. Uh, yes. I don't actually know because we're recording this on on the on Monday, uh, Thanksgiving Monday actually in Canada. In Canada. Today uh, we're talking uh, Van Halen's Panama. Uh, I have to say uh, Van Halen not really in my wheelhouse growing up. I mean uh, this album specifically that Panama's on 1984 came out when I was six, mm-hmm. so I wasn't really dialed into the band at all at this point. Uh, I did know Jump, however. Yes, of course. Um, if you were a young fan, uh, and you were and I was, of the real Winnipeg Jets, mm-hmm. uh, the song would play every time the team hit the ice to start the game in the late 80s through uh, about, what, 1991? Yeah, you can hear it echoing in the half-empty Winnipeg Arena at those Jets yeah, games. Absolutely. Uh, for years, I actually remembered it being kind of a, a goal-scoring song. So when the Jets scored, uh, they would play this, but that's not the case. Uh, the current imposter version of the team did use the track as their goal song in 2016, but it wasn't the real. <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, not really on my radar. Uh, by the time I was in my teens, the band was three albums into the Sammy Hager era, and I wasn't particularly instru- uh, interested in what they were offering. What about you, big man? My only real comment, and I think uh, you may have this coming up, but I think uh, you commented once, you know, when you didn't know who Van Halen was and you heard all about them and, you know, the amazing guitar and whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. you think of, like, this epic rock band, which they kind of were. Yeah. But they were also so fucking goofy. I know, exactly. They weren't exactly what you thought they were. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the the um, the grand scheme of their um, catalog in the David Lee Roth years really is, like, just an absolute, like, it's it's all different. You know, you've got classic, you know, hard rock songs and like ridiculous covers. D- David Lee Roth is basically a carny who can sing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fronting this amazing like band. Yeah, exactly. So. so, you know, all that said in kind of the late 90s, early 2000s, when, you know, you get into your, you know, into your adult years, me, I start kind of going back through the catalog. And, you know, over the years, I managed to cre- uh, appreciate the group's output a little more, especially the David Lee Roth era. Yes, um, Panama was the second to last single released during this era of the band and uh, it's an absolute monster so let's get this episode going as we give you some background man hitting the drops perfectly today boom well done uh, I'm not going to go through the band's whole history here um, instead let's take a look at what was going on with the group in the lead up to the album 1984 uh, guitarist Eddie Van Halen started working on 1984 in his own home studio which was called 5150 He built the studio in his backyard and named it after the Los Angeles police code for an escaped mental patient. Uh 5150 was a fully professional facility starting off as a 16-track studio equipped with classic gear that, well, it seemed outdated during its time of installation, was more than up to the task of capturing Ed's ideas in a polished, finished state that was suitable for release. 1984 may very well be the closest thing to an Eddie Van Halen solo album that the world will ever get. 
as the record is overflowing with his creative input and inspiration. You know, like the, the leader of the band all builds his own studio and just takes over. <laughs> yes, of course. 1984, though, still a band record. Uh, it's distinguished particularly by Alex Van Halen's powerful drumming and David Lee Ross' street poet lyrics and vocals. It also one, offers one of the most pure visions of Ed, Ed's musical talents and breadth that he's ever produced. Well, I, I, I'm, maybe you're going to get to this, but mm. do you have any comments about how somehow before this album came out, Eddie Van Halen discovered the synthesizer? <laughs> I don't have a lot of that because, you know, that would be probably be like more of like a jump episode. Yeah. But absolutely, it's synthesizer all over this. Yeah. And this is one of the tracks that actually doesn't have a lot of synth. But no. yeah, it became very clear that that became kind of his his thing leading yeah, up to this album. Yeah, and of album. course, you know, drove an absolute wedge. Yeah. Between him and David Lee Roth. But, you know, at this point, Panama, everything's okay. Yes. So Eddie had this to say in a 2020 interview with Guitar World. Uh, when we started to work on 1984, I wanted to show producer Ted Templeman that we can make a great record without any cover tunes and do it our way. Um, engineer Don Landy and I proceeded to figure out how to build a recording studio. I did not initially set out to build a full-blown studio. I just wanted a better place to put my music together so I could show it to the guys. I never imagined that it would turn into what we did until we started building it. We also did the U.S. festival in the middle of recording the album. And before that, we toured the U.S., Canada, and South America and played about 120 shows. Uh, and I also had to build the studio during that period, too. I don't know how I pulled it all off. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised. He seemed like a really a dude who loved to work on music. So um, the first song recorded at the new studio was Jump. Uh, according to Eddie, as soon as Ted was on board with Jump, I said it was a stone-cold hit, and everyone started to like it more. But Ted only cared about Jump. He didn't care much about the rest of the record. <laughs> he just wanted that one hit. Uh-huh. Uh, 1984 was a smash hit on the back of Jump. It didn't hit number one on the Billboard uh, 200 albums chart, though. It could not top. Do you know what it could not top? Oh, please tell me. Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh, Makes Tricked sense. You. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie said, we had a number one single, but he had the number one album. Of course, everyone blamed me. <laughs> they said, if you hadn't played on Beat It, that album wouldn't be number one. Yes. And I thought, come on. <laughs> Though, you know, actually, white people, right? So uh -huh. maybe. Yeah. Uh, we'll never really know who helped who more. I do know that when I played on his record, it helped ex expose Van Halen to a different audience. And that is absolutely true. Um, though I can't imagine many, uh, you know, kind of, uh, funk pop fans were very interested in what Van Halen was offering, though, you know, Jump, maybe a bit of a crossover. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Uh, Eddie said, we were projected to go number one the week when Michael Jackson was filming that Pepsi commercial and burned his hair <laughs> on January 27, 1984. Then that happened and everyone was going, oh, Michael burned his hair. We better go buy his record, <laughs> which is abjectly stupid. Uh-huh. Come on. I mean, the album had been out for two years at yep. that point. To promote the album, the band ran a contest on MTV. The contest was called Lost Weekend with Van Halen. I, I, ugh. I, I uh, covered this album for our former music podcast, yes. Albums Are Dead. And yes. that, that idea just sounds so disgusting. I know. Uh, fans mailed over 100, 1 million pokes cards to MTV in hopes of winning the contest in the promo. David Lee Ross said, you don't know where you are. You won't know what's going to happen. And when you come back, you're not going to have any memory, memory of it. Of course. I mean, uh, so, yeah. What's that? So basically you're going to get roofied for a week. <laughs> exactly. It's terrible. I know some dude named Kurt Jeffries run the contest and was flown to get this Detroit. Oh, join the band. <laughs> what a, what a tropical location. Uh huh. 
Jeffries was allowed to bring along his best friend. He was given a t-shirt and a hat. <laughs> he was also brought on stage and had a large sheet, uh, sheet cake smashed in his face and was followed by about a dozen people pouring champagne on him. Uh-huh. The Lost Weekend. Wow. Lucky guy. We need to get, in, we need to get uh, Kurt Jeffries on this show. Uh, I wonder what happened to him. I'm going to guess he's dead. <laughs> maybe maybe back in 1984 he died. Who knows? Uh, 1984, along with Van Halen's debut, are the band's best-selling albums, each having sold more than 10 million copies. As mentioned, the album hit number two in the U.S. It also hit number one in Canada. But let's uh, focus on Panama. The album's third and penultimate single. Can I just say um, one thing before yeah. you go on? Yeah. Uh, 93.3 WMMR rocks. I don't know where this place is located. Uh-huh. But I guess an article for the Preston and Steve show in 2020 said, <laughs> Kurt Jeffries, Phoenixville guy who won MTV's Lost Weekend with Van Halen. And it's a story about him. So it looks like uh, he is alive. He shared an oral history of his adventure with VHND.com, which I will not read, but there is also apparently a 15-minute documentary. So so go check it out. Yeah, Maybe there it's you on go. YouTube or something and, yeah. and, and give that, because we're talking Panama, not yeah. Kurt Jeffries. No. Track along with the album, recorded at 5150 Studios in Studio City, California. Good thing he lived in Studio City, because he was yeah. building a studio. <laughs> it's so convenient. Way to go, Eddie. Uh, the song is credited by, written by the entire Van Halen band. Eddie, his brother Alex, bassist Michael Anthony, and David Lee Roth, though I assume most of it was uh, was put together in a demo by Eddie. Uh, the producer was Ted Templeman, as we mentioned. The track's a pretty straightforward hard rock tune. It's got that classic Eddie Van Halen guitar feel with the bombastic and braggadocious Roth vocals. <laughs> the riff is unmistakable. The solo's a monster. And in the breakdown, we hear the revving of an engine. Uh, this was the sound of Eddie revving the engine of his 1972 Lamborghini Miura S. Uh-huh. Uh, from the Guitar World article. Having the studio here gave Don and I the luxury and freedom to do all kinds of things. They thought we were nuts to pull my Lamborghini to the studio and mic it. We drove it around the city and I revved the engine up to 80,000 RPM to get just the right sound. Uh, We've done all kinds of silly things up there. One time a septic tank needs to be removed. Don lowered a mic into it and we threw an Electrolux vacuum in there. We called it Stereo Septic. Uh I have a tape of it around here somewhere. Great. Um, In Ultimate Classic Rock, uh, there was an article. You know what? That was David Lee Roth that said that? No, that was Eddie. Oh, okay. Damn, I was going to make a joke. Oh, can you make the joke still? I don't know. I was going to say, and that that septic sound became David Lee Ross for a solo EP. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great joke. I wish it would have worked. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Perhaps, tragically, in the light of his reputation, Eddie didn't remember how or when he came up with the song's riff. I have no memory of coming up with any of those riffs he admitted in 2015. Jeez, I wonder why. Uh Uh-huh. Even the stuff I wrote for the last record, I don't remember. It just comes to me. I never sit down to write a song. I've never done that. Okay. Uh, The situation was partly explained by the fact that he usually wrote on tour, alone in one hotel room or another, just with vodka, cocaine, and a tape recorder for company. (laughs) Alcohol and cocaine were private things to me. I would use them for work, he explained. The blow keeps you awake, and the alcohol lowers your inhibitions. I'm sure there were some musical things I could not have attempted were were I not in that mental state. You just play by yourself with a tape running, and after an hour, your mind goes to place where you're not thinking about anything. There's a lesson for you, kids. Yeah, do drugs and drink, and you'll write songs like Panama. Yeah. Um, Roth once described Panama as a celebration of the farthest south that you could possibly go and still have a really corrupt good time. 
Uh, the single was released. Uh, we'll get we'll get to more about the lyrics uh, a little later. Don't yeah. worry, folks. Yeah. Right now we're concentrating on the single and and the release. So we'll we'll get to those lyrics in the next segment. Uh, the single was released on June eighteenth, nineteen eighty four, on Warner Brothers Records. It clocks in at a nice three minutes and thirty one seconds. Ooh, both nice. album and single. So when you're listening to the single, you're getting the real version. No, no, no cuts and edits here. Yeah, they're not fucking around, everybody. No, absolutely not. Discogs list 26 different versions of the single. Uh, the 12 inch features Dance the Night Away and Girl Gone Bad on the B side. Uh, the US 7 inch features Drop Dead Legs as the B side. Um, do you have a version of this at all or no? The Canadian version off of Warner Brothers Records with Panama and Drop Dead Legs. Nice. Uh, the most well-known version of the single has a cover that features a still from the video, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. It's it's of David Lee Ross swinging across the stage on a wire with shades and a boombox on his shoulder, making the dumbest face ever. Yeah, I mean, there is another version of it with just the band standing yes. in a room kind of looking at the camera, the four of yeah. them, and it just says Van Halen Panama, which... Not as silly, no. not as wacky. No. Uh, Panama, of course, uh, included on a number of compilations... Here's some notables that I found. Uh, in 1984, it was on a WEA comp called Rock Show 84, which also featured Sister Christian by Night Ranger. Oh, damn. Which we cover right here on the Super Hits Podcast on episode 53. Most of the compilations, though, they come later on. Uh, in 1997, it was on a Japanese disc called Hits 4 Super Pop Compilation. <laughs> yes. Which is really, like, it's super weird. It's got songs by Gina G, The, Cardi- the Cardigans, Third Eye Blind, it's got Return of the Mac on there, and Panama. Yes! What a great what a great comp. It. Yep. So good. In 1999, it was on a comp called Rock's Best Beer Drinking Songs, which makes sense. Sure. Uh, in 2003, Panama appeared on EMI's The Best Air Guitar Album in the World 2, which, come on, of course. Uh-huh. Van Halen has, shockingly, only two greatest hits packages. Really? Yep. All right. uh, it's honestly a breath of fresh air, uh-huh. uh, especially in next week on the episode I'll be doing. It's going to get ridiculous uh-huh. with with greatest hits packages. That's a spoiler and a teaser. Panama is on both. Uh, there is the best of volume one and the best of both worlds. Okay. So uh, I guess they never did a volume two. Uh, they just did a best of both worlds where it had just everything. I mean, give it time. Uh, yeah. You know, again, 1996, the best of they, they brought back DLR to do a couple songs and he thought the band was getting back together and they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> so best of both worlds, he did return to the band. Um, and that was, I believe 2004. Anyway, Panama has, uh, has appeared in a number of TV shows and movies, including 2007 movie, super bad, uh, a 2000 episode of something called the irate gamer. Uh, there is a 2014 documentary that it appears in called born to be wild. The golden age of American rock. Uh, it shows up in a 2016 episode of it's always sunny in Philadelphia a 2017 episode of Mike and Mike, a 2018 episode of Lost in Space for some reason, and a 2020 episode of Family Guy. Uh-huh. Uh, it also appeared in video games like Rock Band 4, Guitar Hero Van Halen, and Gran Turismo 4. There are many, many, many notable live versions of Panama. Uh, a quick uh, breakdown. We've got a, uh, it was on the band's 1993 live album, Live Right Here Right Now. It's also on their 2015 live album, Tokyo Dome Live in Concert. They also performed the song on Spike TV's 2009 Guy's Choice TV special. Oh, great. Uh, on a 2015 episode of Jimmy Kimmel Live, which I saw live somehow. Really? I don't know how I saw it. I just happened to tune in and see it. Okay. 
Uh, and it, they played it at the 2015 uh, Billboard Music Awards. Okay. Uh, should we go to the lyrics? Uh, two quick things on Spotify, yes. 272 million plays. Yes. Which is a lot more than I would have guessed. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite fact about this, and this is a little bit of a long story. Okay. Uh, so I used to work in a call center. Yes. And when we would post people's productivity scores... Mm-hmm. we would not put their name. So it wouldn't be like, so you wouldn't see that Alan's score is terrible or whatever, right? Yes, of course. Uh, instead, we assigned people with the names of cities. Okay. Uh, we had a guy in one of our call centers whose name almost was Van Halen. <laughs> yes. So they gave him the name Panama. <laughs> boy, boy, that's, his name was kind of, like similar to Van Halen, so they gave him Panama, and people, and they, it was like we're, no one's gonna know. I mean, there were like a hundred and fifty names on there. Oh, okay, all right. So yeah, but Panama, that's awesome. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. At first, I was like, "What is he telling?" But I do, I do remember that story. Amazing. You're welcome, listeners. Yes. Uh, here Lyrics. we go. Lyrics. So according to the Wiki, despite the name, this song isn't about the country. <laughs> Can you believe it? Uh huh. I'd said the song was reportedly written about a car. In an interview with Howard Stern, lead singer David Lee Roth explained the meaning behind the song. Although the lyrics, the song features some suggestive lyrics. It is about a car that Roth mm. saw race in Las Vegas. Its name was Panama Express, hence the title of the song. Uh, Panama was also the name of Roth's Opel Cadet, which was a little compact German car. That being said, <laughs> Song Facts does kind of, um, uh, dis- you know, kind of disputes this. Uh, from Song Facts, the lyrics about a stripper David Lee Roth met in Arizona, as he explained on the Howard Stern show. So the same source, but two different write-ups. Uh-huh. The song came about after an interview Roth gave in the early 80s. The interviewer accused him of only writing lyrics about sex, drugs, and fast cars. Sometime either during or after the interview, Diamond Dave realized he'd never actually written a song about fast cars, so he started working on the lyrics to Panama, which he later admitted in another interview that, as it turns out, he had been writing about a stripper he knew without realizing it. The finished lyrics were inspired by both the stripper and the car. Sure. So, I mean, the lyrics are, you know, suggestive. I think they're pretty good. Um, there's lots of double entendres, but in that really super smarmy DLR way. Well, do you have a favorite uh, lyric? I do. All right, go. Uh, ain't nothing like it. Her shiny machine got the feel for the wheel, keeping the moving parts clean. Uh-huh. Hot shoe, burning down the avenue, got an off-ramp coming through my bedroom. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, my, seriously, it's awesome. Mine, of course, is the spoken interlude. Yes. Where he's like, <laughs> I reach down between my legs, yes. ease the seat back. <laughs> Amazing. She's blinding. Yes. I'm flying. Anyways, yeah. That's classic Super Friends style right there. Yep. Shout out to Kid Tetris. He's a big fan of Panama and many things. Uh, David Lee Roth era Van Halen. Yes. I thought, though, you know, and thank you for, for your your favorite uh, line, which there's not a lot of bad lines in this song. Uh-huh. Let's get some thoughts from some of our favorite sources. Oh, please. On what they think about the song. Uh, at Sonfax in the comments, Seth from the Nymo had this to say, and it's a mouthful. <laughs> I think that to say the song is about a car or the song is about a stripper is too broad of a definition for what actually goes into the writing of a song. Panama is also a play on words. Of course, Roth isn't going to say that in a public interview. That would instantly diminish the coolness and mystique of the band on words forever. And what singer does that to their songs? We know that this writing tactic by VH and albums like OU812 and so many other word plays in their lyrics that escape me right now. 
But the real clue is that everything he says about the car leads up to, don't you know she's coming home with me? You lose her in the turn, I'll get her. So here leads into the chorus, and in this context, what does Panama really mean when you factor in the play on words? Maybe there is a car called Panama. But what, what makes this particular car worthy of a song? When I was a kid, I probably thought Panama was about the canal or the country. In fact, I probably didn't care what it meant, because at that age, I just figured rock stars sang whatever they wanted, and whether it made sense or not. It wasn't until I got older and understood the song's lyrics and VH's wordplay, word tricks a little better, that I realized Panama wasn't about Panama. It was about your mom, LOL. (laughs) Hey! (laughs) Amazing. Good job, buddy. Oh, Seth from Nanaimo. Yep. You know, a king. A jokester. I'm headed out to, uh, well, I won't mean Nanaimo. I was headed out to Vancouver in a few weeks, but not. I should make a trip to Vancouver Island just to, to catch up with Seth. The truck. Seth from, you know what? That dude rules. Yeah. Um, Scott from the U.S. Wrote, <laughs> yes. Panama Red Cannabis is a famously high, a famous high potency cannabis. It is a, in all caps, sativa. So it does not make you sit around on the couch and get fat. It makes your, it, no, it makes your brain, brain fly. You either know it or you don't. All right. Thank so you. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Uh, to that, oh, Olala from Washington, D.C. said, Panama, little drug runner playing in the beginning of the video, DLR flying across the, si- the stage seconds later, all caps, cocaine three exclamation points <laughs> yes I mean, come on it was the early 80s even pta moms in some of the posher suburbs in america did that stuff in the video three of the guys even slide down white poles dash lines rails what have you and all the racing speeding imagery well yeah if you've done coke you know what that's all about and the sex and booze well that just makes the high even better Okay. If it were about weed, Van Halen would be all fat and laying around like the Grateful Dead, not jumping and doing high kicks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the early 80s, all about amphetamines. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Charlie from Las Vegas said, I don't give a damn what you guys think. This is a cool song, no matter what the overall meaning. Okay, okay. thanks, buddy. So I didn't even go to song meanings. Song facts covered it this week. Let's go to the reception. All right. Ah, uh, your mom, LOL. Yep. So good. Thanks, Seth. Panama entered the Billboard Hot 100 on June 23rd, 1984 at number 52 uh, between Billy Joel's The Longest Time uh-huh. and uh, some jobber named Tony Carey with a song called The First Day of Summer. Ugh. All right. Uh, it peaked eight weeks later at number 13 on August 18th. Uh, would you like to know the top 10 that week? I would, please. So our first is a spoiler alert, unfortunately. Okay. It's a spoiler alert for, ne- for next Tuesday because number one, Ray Parker Jr. with Ghostbusters. Yes. At number two, Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It? Number three, The Jacksons with State of Shock. Uh-huh. That's number a great four, track. Great track, by the way. Yes. Number four, another great track, When Doves Cry by Prince and the Revolution. Yes. Stuck on You by Lionel Richie at number five. Dan Hartman with I Can Dream About You at number six. Uh, we previously talked about John Waite and Missing You on a previous episode. That's at number seven. Elton John with Sad Songs, open parenthesis, Say So Much, close parenthesis at number eight. A little Canadian flavor at number nine with Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart. And at number 10, Peebo Bryson, If you're ever, If Ever You're In My Arms Again. And I got to say, in our next episode, so many of those songs you're going to hear again. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why, you know, I stepped all over it with uh, Panama. I thought, you know, let's take a look at 11 and 12. Uh, number 11, Infatuation by Rod Stewart. And at number 12 was <sighs> Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. More like 
sleeping in my bed. <laughs> yes. Did Woo! you do that same joke? Yep. Probably. Yep. Uh, Panama hit number two on the U.S. mainstream rock chart. And after Eddie's death in 2020, hit number 12 on the U.S. hot rock and alternative songs chart. Uh, internationally, Panama reached number 74 in Australia, number 30 in Ireland, and number 61 in the U.K., you know, not really a, a big uh, song that captured the uh, the uh, mind, hearts and minds of the Europeans. Yeah, no. Uh, not really. In, Van Halen, very, very North American. In Canada, it peaked at number 15 on the RPM Top 100 on August 26th, 1984. Would you like to know the top 10 in Canada that I week? Absolutely would, please. Uh, it's very much the same. Ghostbusters, number one. When Doves Cry, number two. Tina Turner, number three. Elton John, number four. Lionel Richie, number five. Uh, number six, though, a song we covered on episode 35, uh, Self-Control by Laura Branigan. We've got number seven, <laughs> Reno and Wilson with Almost Paradise. Yep. This being the love theme from Footloose by Mike Reno and Ann Wilson. Yep. Um, Eddie Grant with the Romancing the Stone, with Romancing the Stone, which was kind of from the film of the same name. Yep. Um, Number nine, Cindy Lauper with Shebop, and uh, number ten, Pointer Sisters with Jump. Open parenthesis for my left. Close parenthesis. Another uh, spoiler alert for next week. I have the exact same chart from the exact same week in Canada yes! to review with Ghostbusters. <laughs> so there you go. I love it. Yep. Uh, you mentioned earlier that Panama on Spotify has quite a few streams. Um, I believe you said two hundred seventy-three million. Yes. Yes, uh, on YouTube, the song's official music video has over three, 36 million views. In 1985, Van Halen was nominated for American Music Award for favorite pop slash rock band slash duo slash group. They lost to Daryl Hall and John Oates. All right. Our pal, Robert Criscow at the Village Voice, gave the album a B plus. He said, side one is pure up, and not only that, it sticks to the ears. Their pop move avoids fluff because they're heavy and schlock because they're built for speed, finally creating an all-purpose mise-en-scene for Brother Eddie's hair-raising, stomach-churning chops. Uh -huh. Side two is the consolation for their loyal fans, a little sexism, and a lot of pyrotechnics. Okay. You know, he's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let's go to covers and samples. All right. So we got some notable covers of Panama. These include a, a version by crooner Pat Boone, on his 1997 album, In a Metal Mood. Okay. It's awful. Uh-huh. Um, there is the requisite uh, Rockabye Baby version, which is always is exactly what it needs to be and is good. Mm -hmm. um, in 2019, a group called The Bird and the Bee covered the song. Uh, <laughs> it's indie pop-ish and actually pretty good. Okay. Probably because it kind of just takes it down like four, five notches and sounds quite a bit different while still maintaining that, you know, the hook and melody. Yeah. So it's good. On the 1999 album Little Guitars, a tribute to Van Halen, there is a version of Panama by Warren's Janie Lane. It's like an exact replication of the song, so it's good, but it's not interesting. Okay. Uh, there are two 8-bit versions, uh, a 2017 one by 8-bit Universe and one by from 2020 by 8-bit Arcade. Both are great. All right. Uh, who Sampled lists six samples of Panama. Um, in, 20, in 2004, it lists Kill Switch Engage using the riff uh, in their song End of Heartache. This one's dubious. Um, I checked Discogs and couldn't find a credit. So let's just say they ripped the rip off. I wouldn't call it a, a, a sample. Uh, the song sucks, by the way. Okay. Terrible. <laughs> there are a few others that are not notable, but in 2003, the riff appeared in a track called Step To It by, get this, Girl Talk. Uh-huh. Amazing. <laughs> so uh, Girl Talk back 
on the Super Hits podcast. And that's covers and samples. You want to talk about the video. Here we go. So the music video for the song, uh, directed by Peter Angelis, features mostly on-stage performances by the band. The bulk of the video was shot at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, you know, just like the fly It looks like a packed house, like a mega concert. Oh, yeah. yeah. Two nights, uh, uh, both during the show and at the soundcheck, uh, portions of it were filmed at tour dates prior, uh, during performances at Providence Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Where they would film an uh, uh, early '90s, w- where they would have a early '90s WWF pay per view. Yes. <laughs> um, the action clips seen in the video, which were actually shot for the jump video, but were left out as a result of creative differences in the jump video. So I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole other thing. Actually, you know what? Let's get into it. Jump video creator uh, Robert Lombard felt larger than life antics were at odds with the intimate performances that he shot for jump and left them out that led to his dismissal, even though the video went on to win awards and inspire a generation of copycats. It would seem that Roth working with director, Peter Angelus had his revenge by making sure that the action scenes appeared in the Panama video action scenes being them driving a car. Uh The video also featured one of the most successful attempts to circumvent MTV's ban on product placement. (laughs) Michael Anthony is seen playing a bass that is shaped and styled like a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yes. <laughs> uh, faced with the impossible task of blocking it out or, refer- or refusing to air a Van Halen video, the network capitulated and left it alone. Nice. Let's break the video down a little bit. Oh, please. So we get the plane flying across the screen. Uh, you know, the song kicks in and here's David Lee Roth flying on a wire above the stage, uh, like on the cover of the single. So we kind of like cut like the, he's almost like a plane himself. I said, there are lots of jumping and kicks. Pretty standard Van Halen fare. Eddie mugs for the camera, as does DLR. Uh, next, we cut to Dave being arrested in his hotel wearing only a towel. Yes. This is the best part of the video, in my opinion. Uh, the flash bulbs are going off. I love how they freeze frame shots. It's so cheese deluxe. It's awesome. Uh, we go to more jumping and kicking on stage. I noted that DLR at this point has red panties on over top of his leather pants. <laughs> yes. And also seems to be wearing a wrestling singlet over his tank top. There's, there's, there's so much going on in this fucking video. There's, it's just nonstop. Like they, they, it's like there's just there's more um, costume changes than a Beyonce concert. I, I mean, it's, it's how we describe this band. It's so fucking goofy, right? And you, yeah. lis- you listen to the song Panama. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like this is seems like a very epic rock song. And then you watch the video, and it's uh, the fucking circus is in town. <laughs> yes. They're all every band member is flying across the stage on a cable. Yep. Uh, David Lee Roth is doing what I can only describe as rhythmic gymnastics. Like he's got the ribbon. Yeah, he's got the ribbon. I know. What, he's like dancing along the stage with the ribbon behind him. Yeah. And like there are shots from the concert where they're where they're jumping around and you know the regular yeah. Van Halen shit. And then it, it appears like they shot again, as you said, like maybe during sound check when no crowd was there. Yes. But that's where they have the close-ups of the band like mugging for the camera and doing this rhythmic gymnastic shit and like Yeah. It's Yeah, and then they're like, "Oh, let's go and here's some clips from the jump video that we threw away of I believe Dave and like Eddie or Alex cruising around in some classic car yeah. with the top down." Then for some reason Alex in a bathroom is like peeks out under a pair of sexy legs. Yes. So weird. Uh the whole backstage crew get a get a shot though with all many beers being toasted. Which is a nice uh, a nice shot. They have they have, um, they have the shot that was referred to in the song facts note with the three white poles. 
Yes. Which reminds yes. me of the Hot for Teacher video where it's just, you know, David Lee Roth and a couple of dudes like doing a goofy dance. Yeah, this is like some, I, I what I said is I can only describe as pole sliding B-boys. Uh-huh. And then Dave slides down and he's got a glittery robe on over top of his track pants. Yes. Uh, we also get Dave on a motorcycle so dolled up. <laughs> I mean, what a king. Uh-huh. I've never seen a guy drive a motorcycle dress like that. It's amazing. Uh, Eddie in a white tux sits at a piano and blows smoke rings at the camera yes. because he's so cool. <laughs> yes. We get more performance clips during the uh, ridiculous solo. It should be noticed that Dave does a rad flip over Mike's back. Yes, like That's a double team move. Yeah. Um, he's also wearing a tank top with his own face airbrushed on it, <laughs> which is amazing. We get a lot of shots of fans going, just going nuts. Yep. Um, during the breakdown, Dave gets all super sexy to the camera. We also, like I, like you mentioned, we get some serious ribbon work, like a gymnast. Uh, <laughs> and there's just more hijinks as the video ends. Yes. From the Ultimate Classic Rock article, just to tie this in a bow, uh, speaking during the video shoot after a day of sword fencing moves, Ross said that Halen has absolutely changed the face of pop music as we know it permanently and forever. In 1984, you can't avoid us. You can talk whatever you want about clothing and haircuts, but it's all in the grooves. If the music moves, then you've got it. Yes. So there you go. Let's rate this thing. Well, my man, what did you think of the music video? I'm giving the video an eight. Nice. It's not a piece of art. No. It's not a masterpiece. Uh, And again, it kind of flies in the face of what you think of what Van Halen is. Yes. Uh, At least what I would have thought they were. If you came in cold. If you came in cold. But this is like the most fucking fun band in the world. Oh, yeah. If you want an advertisement to go see this band in concert, this is it. Yep. But it's not just concert footage, right? No. And they throw in enough random shit that you're like, that's interesting, but in a fun way. I loved it the whole way through and I uh, give it a solid rating, 8 out of 10. I'm going to give it a 7. Uh, I concur with all your points. This video is exactly what it needs to be. Van Halen having fun on stage and the fans lapping it up, but we get some classic uh, shenanigans backstage, which is great. Uh, the scene where Dave gets arrested is iconic. Uh, this is not complicated. It is Cock Rock Supreme. Yes. 7 out of 10 for me. What did you think of the song? I'm going to give the song a 7. Once Upon a Time, I probably would have given it a Mm 9. But just over time, you know, it's like, all right, like the the, the luster is... A little bit. Yeah, agreed. Is is a little bit, uh, you know, depleted on over time. But I still uh, enjoy the song for sure. Uh, It's a great piece of music. I think it's, you know, one of the better tracks on 1984, especially if you don't want synths. Yes. And you want what is supposed to make Van Halen Van Halen. Uh, Great chorus. uh, Good usage when I've heard it on TV and in soundtracks. If you want a party song, this is it. And uh, yeah, it's a good one. So yeah, seven. I concur. Seven out of ten for me. Uh, The song's a monster. Easily one of my top three Van Halen tunes. They're not my favorite band by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But I got to respect the game. The guitar work is top notch. The bass groove is tight. Uh, DLR at his peak. Uh, slap on the headphones and give it a listen because it is layered and awesome. 7 out of 10 for me. What do you got for us next Tuesday? So we are, as of next Tuesday, a couple of weeks away from Halloween. Yes. So we're going to get spooky on the Spooky spooky, Hits podcast. Yes, Spooky Hits podcast for four songs leading into Halloween that are of a more spooky nature. And of course, we're going to start off, you've already spoiled it. Yep. We've got Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. 
And yes. holy shit, do I have a lot of notes. So I uh, will try I to... I cannot wait. Yeah. I'm very excited for that episode. If, you, uh, if you've never heard Ghostbusters... <laughs> head over to the Super It's Podcast playlist on Spotify or Apple Music. We've got it there for you. Or, yes. you know, go to Google and type Ghostbusters and you will also find it. And uh, you can also find us at Super Hits Cast on Twitter at Super Hits Podcast on Instagram, Super Hits Podcast at gmail.com. Find me at Slip with Five Eyes or Sleep. I'm Jamie C at Megamix.com. Thanks for listening, friends. Bye. Bye.